Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast episode number 193. Well, it's a hot summer day here in Texas, and I am very thankful to be inside Thankful that my air conditioning is running now, thanks to my wonderful husband. (laughs) Got a little warm yesterday. Uh, And I'm thankful to be talking to you because there's an awful lot to talk about. I have tons of news to catch up on with you today. With genealogy milestones, anniversaries, new records, upcoming conferences, and two, two new free video tutorials that I think you're going to love. It's part of a brand new tutorial series. I've also got some fun email to share with you today. I heard from someone who got so much out of podcast episode number 192 that he had to write and tell us about his response and add one more tip to something that I talked about last month. So you'll also hear from two GEMS listeners who wrote in about that uh, Where I'm From poetry contest. You remember that one that we ran last year? We continue to get responses from listeners Um, as they come across that. And I love when you guys share your poems with us. So we'll be talking about that a little bit more. Then our own Sonny Morton's going to be back to announce the newest book in the Genealogy Gems Book Club lineup. And your DNA guide, Diane Southern, will be here to share a key principle in genetic genealogy. Ah, so much to do. So let's get started. Uh, First of all, happy anniversary to the Freedom of Information Act. July 4th of 2016 marks 50 years from the date the Congress signed the FOIA, and the U.S. became one of the first nations to open its records to the public. The Freedom of Information Act applies to certain kinds of information about the federal government and certain information created by the federal government. It doesn't apply to documents that relate to national security, privacy and trade secrets, or to documents created by state or local governments. But since it was passed, it has continued to be expanded and amended, and the numbers of documents requested has just skyrocketed. So just to kind of give you an idea about this, in the five years after the FOIA passed, there were only about 500 total requests for documents. So that's just an average of maybe 100 a year. Last year alone, there were over 700,000 requests. And a lot of those requests come from genealogists like me and you. And I know because I've made several of those requests myself. That's what we use when we request an ancestor's social security application. That's the SS5 form. Or we request 20th century immigration and naturalization documents that haven't been sent to the National Archives yet that are still available by request. We do that through the Freedom of Information Act. And in case that's news to you, these include naturalization certificate files from 1906 to 1956, alien registration forms that were filled out during World War II era from 1940 to 1944. They have visa files from 1924 to 1944, registry files for 1929 to 1944, which document immigrant arrival records for someone whose passenger list or their other arrival record could not be found for whatever reason. And A-files, those are alien files. They cover from 1944 to 1951. Something else that I haven't used for myself is to request certain FBI and CIA records. Hmm, you wonder who might be in there (laughs) if uh, your ancestors kind of ran in those same circles. But I have certainly used the Freedom of Information Act to request my great grandfather's immigration records, his naturalization records, I should say. And those were wonderful. And they were different, really expanded over what I got at the county level. In the show notes for this episode, you will find where to look for information on the FOIA and how to request these kinds of records. And actually, for more details on everything that I talk about in the podcast episode, the show notes is the place to go. So this is episode 193. 
And um, you'll just go to genealogygems.com, hover your mouse over podcast, click on Genealogy Gems podcast, and then you go down the list till you find episode 193. Now, for those of you who live in the U.S. and Canada, you know that Niagara Falls is a honeymoon destination. But what I didn't realize is that happy couples have been heading there for over 200 years after some famous honeymooners there set a trend, including Napoleon Bonaparte's brother, Jerome, in 1804. So what makes this genealogy news? Well, the Niagara Falls Tourism Bureau has actually been gathering and keeping guest register books signed by visiting couples. Can you imagine? So over 680,000 entries from these books have been indexed and imaged now, and you can search them on Ancestry.com. Who knew we were going to get Niagara Falls visitor indexes? (laughs) But hey, this was a very popular place for our ancestors to go on their honeymoon. So the dates for these records that are available over at Ancestry, in this collection, it's the last half of the 20th century. So we're talking 1949 to 2011. Hey, maybe you honeymooned there. You could search on your own name in the registry. And here's a tip. So while I'm thinking about it, recently I was talking on the Genealogy Gems Premium Podcast with Peggy Lawrenson, and she described not really honeymoon destinations, but wedding destinations when a couple needed to marry quickly or without the restrictions they might have faced if they had married locally. So they would head to get a quickie wedding and maybe go to a destination like Las Vegas, right? These places are known as Gretna Greens. You ever heard that term? If you are a Genealogy Gems Premium member, then you can certainly hear Peggy's tips for researching Gretna Greens and other strategies for finding female ancestors. That was Premium Episode 136. And it hails back to a little town called Gretna Green. And I believe it was southern Scotland, right over the border. But take a listen. It's a it's a really interesting kind of phrase that you might have heard in conversation and not realize what the origins were. In fact, I just heard somebody use it in an old movie I was watching on Turner Classic Movies. So kind of neat. So you can listen to Peggy talk about that in premium episode number 136. Another set of records that are soon going to be online in late June, Family Search announced that the Freedmen's Bureau project is done. This project indexes the names of nearly 1.8 million African Americans and other Southerners in Freedmen's Bureau records that were created at the end of slavery in the U.S. Those records include marriage registers, assistance for the poor, hospital registers, census lists, and labor contracts. Nearly 19,000 volunteers helped to make this happen, and that included partners from nationwide chapters of the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society, the Smithsonian, uh, local church congregations, and even the Boy Scouts, who did this as part of their Eagle Scout project. So what a wonderful group of people all coming together and making this happen. Unfortunately, you're going to have to wait until September of 2016 to get free online access to the full Freedmen's Bureau project, which you'll find at discoverfreedmen.org. But meanwhile, there are some limited Freedmen's Bureau records and resources online, as well as some excellent and free instructional videos on using them. And we've talked about those on the Genealogy Gems blog, so uh, we'll have a link for you to those. And here's a DNA milestone to report. The last time I logged into Ancestry.com, I noticed that the Ancestry DNA's database has now reached 2 million DNA samples. Who would have thunk? (laughs) They say that they are the, quote, first and only consumer genetics company to reach the 2 million customer mark, unquote. Well, with all these autosomal samples, they say they've helped make 7.4 million genetic cousin matches at the level of third cousin or closer. They've suggested 7.7 million new ancestor discoveries and created over 5.1 million family connections through DNA circles. 
and our very own DNA expert here, Diane Southerd, has talked about these ancestry DNA features on the podcast before. Um, so I'll have a link to her discussions of those in the show notes. And I anticipate that Ancestry DNA database will just keep growing. Ancestry DNA is now selling test kits in more than 30 countries, which they announced back in March. And that includes almost everywhere in Western and Eastern Europe. Uh, it includes Scandinavia, Australia, New Zealand, North America, and even now South Korea. And this makes me think of a comment that we recorded at Roots Tech, which you're going to hear in a few moments from an Australian Genealogy Gems premium member who looks forward to finding more genetic cousins. The more of us from around the world who spit into that little vial or swab inside of our cheek as part of genetic genealogy testing, well, the more we can all expand our genetic trees around the world. This episode today is also brought to you by the third annual Northwest Genealogy Conference, hosted by the Stillaguamish Valley Genealogical Society, north of Seattle in Arlington, Washington. It's four days packed full of genealogy, centering on the theme, Family Secrets Uncovered, Lost History Found, where you'll learn how to put together a family history, and you might even uncover some of your own family secrets. There will be well-known and respected keynote speakers, including Blaine Bettinger, the genetic genealogist, speaking on DNA, Claudia Breland, speaking on gathering your family's story, and me. We'll all be the Saturday keynote presenter, sharing loads of exciting strategies for using technology for genealogy. Starting off with the free day Wednesday afternoon, speaker Beth Folk will address beginner's issues, which is also a good refresher for more seasoned genealogists. And there'll be such great genealogical information for all levels. And it's going to be a lot of fun. The tween classes take a chance to meet a distant cousin with the cousin wall, participate in the genealogy-related scavenger hunt on free day Wednesday, and enjoy the free taco bar at the evening reception. Wear a costume from your ancestors' homeland on the Friday dress-up day, and much, much more. Go to NW, like Northwest, GC, like Genealogy Conference, dot org. That's NWGC dot org for details and to register. Check it out now. Registrations are limited, so it's really good to get in early. That's NWGC dot org, August 17th through the 20th of 2016. It'll be a great show. Don't miss it. I'll close this little conference update with a, a quick clip I recorded at Roots Tech 2016. It's a conversation between Sonny and two Roots Tech attendees at the Genealogy Gems booth. One of these women is a self-described conference junkie from Australia, and the other is a young, new family history lover who lived locally. But both of them were having a fantastic time. This is Sunny, and I'm coming to you from Roots Tech 2016, talking to lots of genealogists from all over the world who just are really excited to be here. So first, I'd like to say hello to Fran Kitto or Kito? Kito. Kito from Forest Glen, Australia. Welcome to Roots Tech. Hi. Thanks, Sunny. What brings you, what's so compelling about Roots Tech that it brings you all the way across the sea? Oh, I'm just a conference junkie, and when you know you can meet people like Lisa, well, you just have to come don't you? What are you enjoying so far? Um, I like meeting the people I've seen before and a lot of bloggers so it's really great and you get to see and ask questions of the different people on the different stands and go to lots of different conference sessions. What's a lecture session you're looking forward to at Roots Tech 2016? Oh well I'm pretty lazy I just wander around and find an empty space and go in and have a look and listen because if you pick one you find they're boring but if you go just bowl up often there's something you never even thought you knew and it's really great that is something i really like about conferences too is that you can look around and see what what looks new and exciting it's it's the box of chocolates metaphor i guess oh yeah a couple of years ago i did my ancestry dna i've got one guy that supposedly says i'm related somewhere way back but being in australia where most people are actually um, having their little spit tests done in the u.s but i'm hoping more and more people get done each year and i'll find some more connections that's fantastic. Well, thank you for stopping by to say hello. What do you love about Lisa Louise Cook and Genealogy Gems? Oh, I really love the podcast. I pay for the premium, but I love the free one too. I listen on the way to work um, in my car. 
and I also was listening all over Christmas when I was watering my neighbour's garden. So you can water the garden for 20, 30 minutes and not even realise you've been standing there doing nothing, listening to Lisa. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, thanks for chatting with us for just a minute, Fran. Welcome to Roots Tech. Have a great time. Oh, thanks, Sunny. Sure. See you around. Okay. All right. Now, this is Sunny again. Let's say hello to Alexis Moore from Salt Lake City right here in the USA. You didn't have to come far to Roots Tech, did you? No, just down the street. Okay, <laughs> so people can't see you, but what I see is a very young woman who's probably a little on the young side for a typical genealogy conference. Tell us about you. What brings you here? Yes, um, I'm 24, and I just love family history. I've been getting into it the last year or two, and it's my first time at Roots Tech, but... I just love family history, the stories, and this, the research, and everything, and I'm just here to learn more. What are you most excited about? Oh, that's a hard one. There's so many classes that I wish I could take, but they're all at the same time, so you have to pick and choose. And then the exhibit hall is huge, and just all the vendors, I want to see everything and do everything, but I can't. <laughs> so you came by with a couple of suggestions for the Genealogy Gems Book Club. So have you? do you already know the book club, or is this new to you? Um, I have listened to the podcast, so I'm familiar. I haven't read all the books yet. I'm working on it. But I just love the idea of reading family history stories. And that's something I'm interested in doing myself and writing books, maybe. Um, and so I really want to catch up and read on the books. I love the interviews with the authors. They're really so interesting. So I just Even if it. you haven't read the book. Yeah, even if you haven't read it, you just listen to the author talk about it. And it's so cool to hear the background of how they came to find their stories or how they came to write it. And I just love that. I love that. I like the backstories, too. Those interviews are really fun to do. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, thanks for stopping by to say hello. And enjoy Roots Tech. Yeah, thank you. And finally, I have released some brand new videos I think you're going to love. I hope so. And hopefully get a lot out of. And those are over at the Genealogy Gems YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash genealogy gems. And of course, you can also get there from our website. Just click on videos or hover your mouse kind of over the videos in the menu and you will see the drop down menu for the YouTube channel. I recently published the last of a free three episode series of video tutorials on how to use Animoto to create gorgeous, captivating family history videos. My free video tutorials are start to finish, step by step, everything you need to know about how to produce your own videos. Even if you don't have, you know, moving video footage, if what you have is photos, you can still pull those together in an Animoto video, include title cards and music and all kinds of stuff to make a really cool shareable video. And there's also free handouts. So be sure and check that out. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes to those. And secondly, I hear a lot from genealogists, um, certainly these past couple of years about tech overload. You ever feel like tech overload is just taking over your life? Yes, we need a certain amount of tech savvy to succeed in our research these days to maximize the online resources for discovering family history. And of course, to keep everything organized and share it. But a lot of listeners do say that their heads are just about to explode with some of the tech that's going on. And I'm really listening. I have just started a brand new series I think that you will like. They are short tech tips tutorial videos that are going to target the most important major tech tools that you use in everyday life and your genealogy life. Two of these very short tutorials are now on my Genealogy Gems YouTube channel. One of them is on Google Books. That's the first one. And the new one that I just put out is on using Google Chrome for image search. I've been getting a lot of feedback already on these videos, and you guys have really been putting them to use. Louise was the first one to comment on the Google Books video, and she wrote, Thanks, Lisa. I found some neat books on Aberdeenshire. So she used the Google Books search technique. You know, watch the video. It was like three and a half minutes and immediately started finding things on her family's locations. And Deborah liked the tip so much that she subscribed to my YouTube channel, which I really appreciate. And I invite you to do the same thing. If you go to YouTube 
facebook.com slash genealogy gems, you'll see the, the red subscribe button. If you're signed into your Google account, and everybody can have a free Google account, that will set up a subscription for you. And whenever I post a brand new video, you will get notified so that you'll know that it's available and you can start watching. And like I said, these are less than five minutes each. So it's a quick little um, perk up to your genealogy research. And what I'm hoping is it's going to remove some of that tech overload. You're going to see the most efficient ways to do things, the quickest way, and techniques that are really going to produce results quickly so that you don't spend your time spinning your wheels. I know how that feels, and we are going to fix that with our tech tip videos. So I hope you'll like those. And finally, for those of you who are Genealogy Gems Premium members, I have just published a brand new premium video. It's called All About Google Drive. I talk about 10 specific benefits for using the free Google Drive service for storing files online, creating and editing, and more on all your computing devices, and across platforms, across from your desktop to your mobile device, they can cover it all. And this is really a timely topic because you may have heard that Evernote recently changed their pricing structure, kind of what their accounts and the the different services they offer, what those things have changed. And one of the biggest changes is that you can only use the free Evernote service on two devices. That's something to really think about. And you know, I fully understand because we want Evernote to be around and they need to find a way to be financially viable. So I think adding some of those features where where they're giving you the essential feature to try it out, you can use it on your desktop and your mobile device. But if you want to expand beyond that, they really want you to invest in the product. So those changes have happened and that might have you thinking about where you want to kind of go from here. So it seemed like a good time to um, release this video and let you know what some of your other options are. Even if Evernote hadn't changed a thing, sometimes our own personal needs change. All of a sudden, we want to start, you know, adding a whole bunch of photographs, or we want to have, we got a new tablet, but we still have a phone and we have a desktop. So our needs can change. Um, Most important thing is we stay flexible. And we stay up to date on what's the best technology for us. So I'm hoping that you're going to find that this Google Drive video, it's just 30 minutes, will introduce you to what is available to you um, from them. And take a look and see if it meets your needs or maybe you're just going to stay where you are. One of the things I would recommend if you're really struggling with Evernote and not being able to use it on more than two devices, but you really want just to stay with the free service, consider using Evernote.com in your web browser on your computer, and then use the two devices that are allowed to be attached, perhaps your smartphone and your tablet. Okay, so that's one way you can kind of work around it as long as you want to hang on to that free service uh, and make it work. So this new video, I digress, here I am talking about, you know, 10 different things, but I really want you to know what's going on and what your options are. Uh, The new video is called All About Google Drive. And I recommend that you watch it even if you're not thinking about switching anything from Evernote or anywhere else or OneNote. Google Drive and Google Docs may have some things to offer that uh, will enhance what you're doing. And I'm finding more and more that I'm interacting with other researchers who are using Google Docs and Google Drive. And so it behooves me to at least have a clue how all that works so I can interact with them and we can easily share files. So um, definitely check that out. Premium website membership is really easy to sign up for. Uh, It's inexpensive. And it goes for a whole year for that one price, it's $39.95. And you get full access to all of the premium content on the Genealogy Gems website. So what does that mean? It means over 30 members only videos, the entire archive of premium podcast episodes, those are um, exclusive and completely separate from the free show. So there's over, gosh, over 130 episodes to date. So there's lots of great content there. And if you're already a premium member, just head to genealogygems.com, sign in with your username and password. Remember, your username is a username, not your email address. Sometimes that gets confusing, but you were assigned a username and you've got a password. 
If you have any questions, you can email us. You can email service at genealogygems.com and we will help you out with that. But sign into your account and then you can hover your mouse over premium in the menu and you'll find all about Google Drive as well as all the other great premium content that's available to you. I'm a firm believer in taking responsibility for the life and the future of my genealogy data. So instead of only uploading my information to somebody else's genealogy website, I enter it into my own master database that's on my own computer into the premier genealogy software program. It's Roots Magic at RootsMagic.com. Genealogy software is Roots Magic's primary focus. It's not just a sideline with them. And I continue to be really impressed by their free online training videos and all the rich features that they continue to add. And here's the latest. Not only can you import a JetCom file from another program, but now with the release of RootsMagic 7.1, you can directly import any Family Tree Maker file with everything attached. In fact, RootsMagic can import a bigger variety of older Family Tree Maker files than any single version of Family Tree Maker itself. It's just one way that RootsMagic has been reaching out into the genealogy community, helping them care for their most precious data, their Family Tree. And there's even more to look forward to this year as Roots Magic has announced an agreement with Ancestry and will soon be able to synchronize your family tree with Ancestry the same way that Family Tree Maker did. There's never been a better time to switch to Roots Magic. Head to rootsmagic.com and download the free Roots Magic Essentials today. You know, now that I've moved to Texas and what they lovingly call Tornado Alley, I'm more aware than ever that if anything ever happened to my genealogy files, I would be devastated. And boy, have my files expanded since I started this research at the ripe old age of eight years old. As genealogists, we don't just have paper files anymore, but we also have digital files like our genealogy database and precious old photos that we've spent hours scanning. No matter where we upload our family tree or anything else relating to our family history on the web, the responsibility for the total safety and security of our files lies with us. That's why I'm so proud to announce that Backblaze is now the official backup of Lisa Louise Cook and Genealogy Gems. For the past few years, I've been researching and I've been test driving backup services and hands down, Backblaze is my choice. It's certainly the easiest service to use. And I love their free app that allows me to access all my files on my smartphone and my tablet. Plus, it backs up everything, including my video files. Yikes, I didn't realize before looking at Backblaze that other services skip over backing up videos. So don't wait another day to ensure that all your files are safe and secure. Back them up like I do with Backblaze. Head to backblaze.com slash Lisa and scroll down. You'll see my smiling face there and a great offer. Just 50 bucks for a year's peace of mind and the best cloud backup around. Go to backblaze.com slash Lisa. Bring me a letter from my old hometown. One with some jokes from my old pal Jim Brown. Bring me a letter from that girl of mine. time to read some mail from you. And here's a great one. After publishing Genealogy Gems podcast episode 192, I heard from Chris, and he blogs at leaftwigandstem.blogspot.com. And uh, he wrote, 
At the end of the podcast, you asked which story we related to. And this month, I'd have to say all of them. (laughs) Wow. First, there was the story of the woman who found out that her adopted grandfather was actually a blood family member. I blogged about a very similar story. And Chris um, sent a link to his post. So I'll have that in the show notes for you. It's a very compelling story of an adopted child in his family. And the family story said that the child's biological father was a known member of the family who'd gotten the mother pregnant, and then his relatives adopted her. And a clever bit of sleuthing from him and another relative he collaborated with shows that this wasn't exactly true. I I won't share any spoilers. I'll just quote his summary at the end of the post, which was, quote, family lost, family found, and another family myth dispelled, unquote. So then Chris went on to say in his email, the nicest part of my story was that after the cousin I mentioned posted something at Billion Graves, she actually heard back from a member of the birth family who sent her a treasured family memento. And that memento that he's talking about was a family Bible inscribed from the child's birth mother to her birth father, perhaps when he went off to fight in World War I. And I just love hearing about the connections that we can make online with our relatives who have these pieces of the story that we're trying to make sense of. It's it's amazing and very inspiring. Chris's email continues. He's got a comment here and a tip about the U.S. Public Records Index, which I talked about also in episode 192. He says, I love this resource and use it all the time, but the way I use it wasn't mentioned. If you have modern relatives who you are not in contact with directly, you often have husbands or wives with no last name or no birth date. And when it's a woman, finding the maiden name could be important. Using the public records volume one and two and going back and forth comparing addresses, you can usually figure out a maiden name and often also a birth date. Very useful. The very last connection that Chris had with this episode was with our book club interview with Helen Simonson on her book, The Summer Before the War. It takes place in Sussex, England. And Chris writes, well, I have family from Sussex. (laughs) And when she mentioned Romney Marsh, my ears perked up. I blogged about that area, too. And Chris, again, sent us another link to another blog post describing how dramatically the coastline has changed in one particular area, where it used to be islands and it's now marshlands where sheep graze. His family was in that region as far back as the 1600s, he says, and he wonders how differently to think of their lives now that he knows they lived on islands on the coast rather than inland. Makes a big difference. What a great reminder to research the geography of an ancestor's life, and not just with modern maps. Things do change. Chris says he learned about the land by reading descriptions of it in the past. For my part, I love using historical maps and comparing them to modern Google Earth images. I demonstrate that in my book, The Genealogist Google Toolbox, the second edition. And there's also a companion video tutorial series available with the book. It's called How to Use Google Earth for Genealogy. Talk about that a lot in that video series. So we'll have links to those resources in the show notes for you as well, as well as some free examples to kind of get you started using old maps with genealogy. Okay, well, last year, I ran a contest encouraging everyone to participate in a family history poetry initiative, you may remember, it's called Where I'm From. And it was started by Kentucky Poet Laureate George Ella Lyon, whom we had as a guest on the show. Boy, this continues to be a popular topic and your poems continue to trickle in. So here are two more. Trina wrote in from San Jose, California to say that she had heard about this from us And she immediately wrote hers. And she sent it to us, so I will read it to you. I'm from World War II and Country Farm. City family and creeks, streams, to the Tennessee River. From outhouse to Sunday dinners, and counties near and far. Tennessee to California, to Oklahoma, and California at last. The home garden and fresh beans, to caramel pie, to church in the country, and city Sunday school. From my grandfather as my rock still today, dad to dad, 
and one mom to cousins of yesteryear and more from the todays. Sister older and sisters younger, with missing them now. Memories are made of these and making more with grandchildren for tomorrow. What blessings I have to share with family. The old days and new days are passing by, from moment to years quickly. Glad where I'm from and where I'm going. So much to do before I fly into the sky. Trina also says that her now local society, which is the Santa Clara County Historical and Genealogical Society, they are running a Where I'm From contest too. She says anyone near and far may join their contest. She says we will have a drawing from all entries of cash or a nice prize. So the deadline for entries is August 31st of 2016. And you can learn more about that at sccgs.org. We'll have that in the show notes for you. Thank you, Trina, for sharing your where I'm from. And I've got one more for you. Our second where I'm from for this episode comes from Sheila, or actually, it comes from Sheila's grandmother. So check out this voicemail that Sheila left for us. Hi, this is Sheila Biggs, and I am calling because a few months ago, I started listening to Genealogy Gems and working my way back, and I've been listening to some of the Where I'm From podcasts that say some of the poems, and I just listened to, I think it was podcast 186, and you said in there something like, families are going to love this that they for the rest of their lives that they've come across from grandparents from generations ago, they'll love it, and it made me remember a poem that my grandma wrote when she was in college in the 60s, and I wanted to call and read that, where I'm from, an overview of my life by Vera Moltz Huffaker. I was born in Solomon, Arizona on February 21, 1900-something or other. My parents were of hardy stock, a farmer father, and a homemaking school-teaching mother. We moved to Mesa in the Salt River Valley when I was a lass of just 16. There I graduated from Mesa High, and within three years, there was an engagement ring. My husband was called to the U.S. Navy and was moving all about. I tried to be where he was and followed his every route. I worked in many an office and used my business training, but soon there was a precious babe and formula needed preparing. The oldest entered public school, three more to wait their turn. I was extremely fascinated by how that child did learn. I decided to take some classes to see what I could do. Just six miles away, there was a university called ASU. 1961 was a year to remember, graduation from college with a Bachelor of Arts, and teaching in the Mesa schools is a plus on my life's chart. Our children grew and learned the Christian way. There were graduations and all too soon, their wedding day. The years have passed so quickly, our daughters are in their own homes, I know. It seems like only yesterday I was young, busy, and on the go. Now I am a grandmother watching my lovely family grow. Would you believe there are 70 of us, and each one is a delightful soul? My life is filled with blessings from our Heavenly Father above. He watches over, guides, protects, and I feel his infinite love. And that is from my grandma, and she's been gone for three years, and it was so, it's always so great to read that poem that she wrote so long ago. Thanks for listening. Morton, 
the Genealogy Gems Book Club Guru, here to announce our next Genealogy Gems Book Club featured title. Before I do, I do want to remind you, if you haven't already gotten to read it, to add The Summer Before the War by Helen Simonson to your reading list. This was a wonderful novel. It was our pick for last quarter, and I definitely recommend it. But now it's time to move on and recommend the newest title in our book club. It's another novel about love and war by a British author, but it's a different war. It's a different kind of love story and a very different way of telling the story. But I'll tell you, I loved it just as much. This new book kept me up very late for a couple of action-packed spellbinding nights in a row as I devoured the entire thing. The book is... Everyone Brave is Forgiven by Chris Cleave, and it's been an instant bestseller. It's a story inspired by love letters exchanged between his grandparents during World War II. That was what first caught my attention for our Genealogy Gems book club is this personal connection he has to his grandparents' story. Everyone Brave is Forgiven is a fast-paced book. We dive right into a scene in London in 1939 where we meet Mary North, She's a wealthy young lady from a privileged family. When she finds out that war has been declared, she immediately leaves her finishing school and signs on for the war effort without even telling her parents. So we don't know much about her when we enter the story, but we quickly start to get a sense of her youth, her naivete, her bravery and idealism, when we realize that she thinks she's going to be assigned a glamorous role as a spy. Instead, she's told to go be a schoolmistress. She has this assignment just long enough to meet a school official, and they later start a romance. And she meets her students and makes a meaningful connection with one of them. But then her students, along with the rest of London's children, are evacuated to the countryside, leaving her to figure out what to do next. The plot gets a lot more involved from here. And if I tell you much more, I'd have to give you a spoiler alert. Instead, I will give you some snapshots. There is a love triangle a long-distance romance, a series of scenes that take place on the heavily bombarded military installation on the island of Malta, a ton of action that takes place during the London Blitz, which, boy, I just still can't even comprehend what that must have been like, but I believe that I now have a much better understanding of what what it was like. Um, just from reading this book, including these amazing harrowing scenes of Mary and her friend who have volunteered to drive ambulances during the air raids to sites that have just been bombed. And then you suddenly go to another part of London that gets no bombing and you have this detached, wealthy perspective that just doesn't get the whole experience that everyone else is having. And then there are Uh, Scenes that follow some of the children who return from the evacuation only to find themselves parentless, homeless, and in constant danger, living underground, and these underground shelters that become a nightly existence for everyone during the Blitz. Boy, this this book is intense. It's eye-opening. But Everyone Brave is Forgiven is also compassionate, and it's still very readable for those uh, like me who have a little less of a stomach for blood and guts, but we still want to understand some of the very human experience of living and loving in a war zone and then picking up the pieces afterward and figuring out how to keep on living. So the book is Everyone Brave is Forgiven by Chris Cleave. I've already recorded a conversation with him, which was one of my favorite yet, and I think maybe the most personally moving for me. Lisa already played clips from that chat in a recent Memorial Day video tribute that she made because we both thought Chris's comments about the role of the U.S. troops who came to Europe were so compelling. The show notes for this podcast episode will link to that video and to the book, Everyone Brave is Forgiven. If you want to purchase the book, we really do appreciate you using the link because you'll support this free podcast and the Genealogy Gems Book Club itself. Remember, Lisa will play an excerpt of the interview with Chris in the September Genealogy Gems podcast and the full interview with him in the September episode of the Genealogy Gems premium podcast, which is for premium website members only, but it's easy to become a member. I think it's the best bang for your genealogy education book. 
Of course, everyone can go to genealogygems.com and click on the book club page and learn more about all the books we've recommended, including this one, Everyone Brave is Forgiven by Chris Cleave. Our sponsor for this episode is MyHeritage, which has over 70 million members worldwide. If you're serious about making connections in the country where your ancestors once lived, hands down, MyHeritage is the place that you want to be. Post your tree on MyHeritage and start to see the magic as they automatically match it up with other trees, not just with genealogists in the country where you live, but around the world. Trees aren't primary sources, but they are excellent leads. I uploaded a portion of my family tree that contains my German heritage, and that's where I was really hoping to make a breakthrough, and very quickly it happened. I received a message from a distant cousin in Germany. That was my first international cousin contact. But there's more at MyHeritage. Their unique and powerful search system, it's called Record Matches. It constantly calls over 5 billion historical records for your family. It's the only family history interface out there using semantic analysis to search newspaper articles, books, and other free text documents. It is also the first to translate names between languages. Find out what MyHeritage can do to help you grow your family tree. Visit MyHeritage.com. It's free to get started, so there's really no reason to wait. And there are billions of reasons to try it out. Visit MyHeritage.com. concept in genetic genealogy is that your genetic pedigree is different than your genealogical pedigree. Hello, Genealogy Gems listeners. This is Diane Southard, your DNA guide. You see, your genealogical pedigree, if you're diligent or lucky or both, can contain hundreds, even thousands of names and can go back countless generations. You can include as many collateral lines as you want. You can add several sources to your findings, and these days you can even add media, including pictures and copies of the actual documents. And then every time somebody gets married or welcomes a new baby, you can add that to your chart. In short, there is no end to the amount of information that can make up your pedigree chart. But this is not the case for your genetic pedigree. Your genetic pedigree contains only those ancestors for whom you have received some of their DNA. You do not have DNA from all of your ancestors. Using some fancy math, we can calculate that the average generation in which you start to see that you've inherited zero blocks of DNA from an ancestor is about seven. But of course, most of us aren't trying to figure out just how much of our DNA we received from great-great-grandma Sarah. Most of us just have a list of DNA matches, and we're trying to figure out if we're all related to third-time great-grandmother Sarah. So how does that work? Well, the first thing we need to recognize is that living descendants of Sarah's would be our fourth cousins, though not always, but that's a topic for another time. Again, Bring in the fancy math, and we can learn that living, documented fourth cousins who have this autosomal DNA test completed will only share DNA with each other 50% of the time. Yes, only half. Only half of the time your DNA will tell you what your paper trail might have already figured out, that you and cousin Jim are fourth cousins, related through sweet three times great-grandma Sarah. But here's where the numbers are in our favor. You have, on average, 940 fourth cousins. So if you're only sharing DNA with 470 of them, that's not quite so bad, is it? And it only takes one or two of them to be tested and show up on your match list. Their presence there and their documentation back to Sweet Sarah helps to verify the genealogy you've completed and allows you to gather others who might share this connection so you can learn even more about Sarah and her family. Plus, if you find Jim, 
then Jim will have 474 cousins as well, some of which will not be on your match list, giving you access to even more of the 940. This genetic family tree not matching up with your traditional family tree also manifests itself in your ethnicity results, though there are other reasons for those discrepancies as well. In short, this DNA stuff, it's not perfect or even complete, but if you combine it with your traditional sources, it can be a very powerful tool for verifying and extending your family history. So what do you think? Is it worth it? I think so. I'd love to hear what you think. As always, you can reach me by emailing me at guide at yourdnaguide.com. And don't forget to check in the show notes for some cool links to some blogs that I've followed for some further reading on this topic, if you're interested, especially interested in the cool math stuff. Until next time, this is Diane Feathered, Your DNA Guide. Profile America, Tuesday, July 5th. The origins of the humble hamburger are unclear, but a precursor traces back as far as the 5th century in Imperial Rome. There are several claimants for the distinction of serving the first recognizable made-in-the-USA hamburger. One of them was Oscar Weber Bilby of Oklahoma. He is supposed to have served the first burgers at his 4th of July cookout in 1891. Some forms of ground or chopped beef had previously been served on or between slices of bread but the bun is the capstone to the hamburger project, according to Bilby Partisans. In 1995, the then governor of Oklahoma issued a proclamation designating Tulsa as the birthplace of the true hamburger. The U.S. market for beef, destined in good part for hamburgers, and not sausages or canning, is over $59 billion annually. Profile America is in its 20th year as a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Well, I hope you're going away from this episode with some gems to use with your own research. Maybe you heard about some online records or strategies that can help your search. I do hope that you're ready to go dig for some new gems yourself in those browse only records that we talked about, or on additional pages of record collections that you've already discovered your family in. If you come up with something good or a follow up question in the process, let me know, because I love it when you are part of the conversation that we have here at the Genealogy Gems podcast. So remember, those show notes have everything that you need to keep going with what you've learned today. And so we have links and tutorials and reminder summaries. All of that is in the show notes for this episode, which is 193. Next episode, tune in to learn about finding your relatives in school records and records about their school attendance. I'll give you a top 10 list of my favorite places to look, along with dozens of resources. August is the month in the U.S. when we get ready to head back to school, or we avoid thinking about it until the last minute. So this seems an appropriate time to think about finding those report cards, awkward school photos, sports news articles, and graduation lists for our relatives. And before I sign off, I want to say thanks to the Genealogy Gems podcast production team. I couldn't do this show without them. The content team includes editor Sonny Morton with additional content by Lacey Cook, Amy Tennant, and your DNA guide, Diane Southard. Deanna Thomas is the show's audio editor, and I am your host and producer, Lisa Louise Cook. So until next time, stay cool, take care, and thanks for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.